Lonely song, the song's for you. Our planet is increasingly out of balance, and so it struggles to correct itself. Our rivers, our seas are polluted. Our soil is polluted. Our air is polluted. And just like your body, the Earth is a body, and it is struggling to correct itself, to balance itself. And the truth about life is, according to this work, is that it's a balancing act for the Earth, for all of the planets, for all of the universe, and for us. Because what's so in the macrocosm is so in the microcosm, and what's so in the microcosm is so in the macrocosm. We have the macrocosm in us, and the macrocosm has the microcosm in it. Well, it's easy to see that the microcosm is in the macrocosm. It's very difficult for us to see that the macrocosm is in the microcosm that it's in us, that it's all in us. We just find that so difficult to comprehend. And the reason we do is because we look at things in an exoteric way. We cannot see within. We only see without because 86% of the data that comes into your brain comes through your eyes, your two physical eyes pointed outward. 86%! Unless, of course, you're blind or not completely sighted then some other sense makes up for that. But when you think about it, that's kind of terrifying. For example, if you were to hear a noise now behind you, you would hear it, but you would turn to look and see if it was what you thought it was. You would verify it with your eyes. Without the eyes, you would not have that ability to verify. You would have to verify in some other way. You would have to use some other sense. Or you would have to trust your hearing more. Or you would have to sharpen your hearing more. It would have to be more acute, more accurate. This is a picture of our own inner imbalance, which is quite frankly the cause of the planet's imbalance. Look, we did this. The Earth didn't do this to itself. We are doing it. We are doing it with carbon-based fuels. Is that what they call it? Fossil fuels. We're doing it with fossil fuels or carbon-based fuels. The ozone layer and all this stuff that for years and years and years people have been saying that this was what was going on. And the corporations and the big businesses and the government said, no, that's all hogwash. That's not true. And now, and the global warming thing. Remember, when you're old enough to know when global warming, this whole business about global warming started. And people said, well, that's baloney. That's not true. And it was all the corporations who wanted to continue to do what they were doing without putting mufflers on their pollutants, basically, because it would be expensive and it would cut into their profits. And so they were willing to destroy the earth. Who dumped the toxic stuff into the rivers and the oceans? Well, it wasn't you. Oh, yeah, it's you. I mean, you do that too. But the major pollutants were these companies that were just pouring raw sewage and garbage into the rivers and oceans until it was killing everything. There was a lake or a river that actually caught fire. It was so polluted. Love Canal, these people had to sue and sue and sue until they got millions of dollars from corporations and made them go and clean it up. They had dumped so many toxic things in this canal that it was killing people who lived near it. It had gotten down into the groundwater, and it was in their water, and there was no way to get rid of it, and it was in their bodies. They started to grow second heads or whatever, you know, tumors, whatever happens. I don't know what happens, but it was bizarre. They started to have freak children. They finally tracked it all back to what this company had dumped into this canal. We have done this. The Earth didn't do this to itself. The Earth knows how to purify itself. We're the ones who are out of balance, and so we're causing the planet's imbalance. We call this struggle environmental issues, which are simply too numerous to list these days. Let's just suffice to say that our soil, our water, and our air become more toxic by the day. If you think that I'm going to talk about the environment and how we can fix it, you really got to screw loose, because that's just not what I'm about. What I'm about is you and me. What I'm about is what the work speaks of, number four man, as balanced man. 
I have a picture that I'd like to draw for you with words or paint for you with words. So I'd like for you to follow this as closely as possible. Man number four, or balanced man, is like a portal or a gate to the possibility of our psychological, our spiritual evolution. When the work talks about psychological, it's code for spiritual. Why does it have to be code? Well, it has to be coded because man intellectually has rejected spiritual things, because man has failed at religion, and religion has failed man. And the reason religion has failed man is because religion fell into the hands of man. And once it fell into the hands of men, then it started to be corrupted by the same thing that corrupts the earth, man's imbalance. So our imbalance corrupts and imbalances everything that we touch. So if you look at the world today, and you look at business in the world today, or you look at the freeways, or you look at anything in the world today, you will see that it's not in balance. Before we can approach the portal of balanced man, we must be able to locate ourselves in relation to the gate, to the portal. We've got to be able to know where we are. Let's say you have a treasure map, and the map says the treasure is here. Now you know where the treasure is, but you have to know where you are. If you can't find yourself on that map, if you can't get yourself somewhere on that map, so that you can have a relationship to where the treasure is, it's pointless. You must be able to find yourself first. You go to a mall and they have this big map of where all the stores are, but if somebody ripped off the little red arrow that says you are here, you don't know where you are. You've got only numbers and you've got to find a number that matches up with the name of a store. So you start your detective work by looking at the closest store near you. You find the name of that store. Then you go down to the bottom and you find the number for that store. Then you go through the whole mall map and you find that number. And then you know you are here. And then you find the name of the store you want to go to. And then you find the number of that. And then you locate the number of that and the number where you are, and you can see that in order to get there, from here, you've got to go in this direction. This is what I'm talking about. You've got to locate yourself first. Before we can approach this portal, before we can approach this gate, we must be able to locate ourselves in relation to it. The gate is guarded by a three-headed worm. I know. But remember, I'm kind of artistic in this way. I have this creative mind, and so I know that I take liberties with the teachings. And the reason I take liberties with the teachings is because they're mine. It's because they have become mine now. This work that Gurdjieff started, this work that, of course, Gurdjieff didn't start, but this work that is thousands and thousands of years old, this has become my work. This is mine now. And so I take liberties with it because I'm not taking liberties with it. Not at all. The only people who will think I'm taking liberties with it are the people who are stuck with the ritual and the words, and they have no understanding of it. If you understand it, it won't be a problem at all. So this gate, this portal, this number four balanced man, is guarded by a three-headed worm called imaginary eye. Its heads being pride, vanity, and imagination. So there's three heads, pride, vanity, imagination, and it goes to make up this three-headed worm, imaginary eye. You've heard me talk about imaginary eye before, like as a dragon. So now it's a three-headed dragon. Now they call dragons worms in the old cultures, in the old myths and legends. Dragons were called the great worms. So in a sense, it's easy to make the connection if you pay a little bit of attention. And if you've been paying attention over the years of the things I've been saying, it's going to be easy to put this together. Now, one head puts out one eye, while the other head puts out another eye, and the third hypnotizes us so that we never get to see our condition or see the poke in the eye coming. So we're hypnotized by imagination, and then we're blinded by pride and vanity. So the three heads do their job, and the worm guards the portal so that we can't get to it. 
That's our condition. In an attempt to help us see our current psychological position, the work offers us a picture of man at seven psychological positions or categories. This doesn't have to be complex. Seven psychological positions or categories simply means seven levels or seven spots on a line. Men, numbers one, two, and three. In fact, imagine a seesaw. That's what I'd like you to do. Just imagine a children's seesaw in a playground. And you have the fulcrum in the middle, and you have one side and the other side. And on the one side, you have three, men numbers one, two, and three, and they're sitting there. On the other side, you have three, men numbers five, six, and seven, and they're sitting there. And in the middle, you have the portal. All right, or think of it another way. I can do this all day. Think of it another way. Think of an hourglass. And at the top, you have men numbers five, six, and seven. At the bottom, you have men numbers one, two, and three. Now, the trick is for men number one, two, and three to get through the little narrow spot there that we call constriction in the hourglass. The trick is for them to get up to five, six, and seven, but they've got to go through the portal, through the gate, which is the constriction. This is roughly what I'm talking about, the way I want you to see it, for this purpose. So men numbers one, two, and three, that's where we are, and men numbers five, six, and seven, where we might go. If we wish to develop, it's possible that we could get through this portal and develop into men numbers five, six, and seven. That's the goal. Man number four, balanced man, being the gate or the portal between the two groups. Now, the work calls the lower group unconscious or mechanical humanity. That is what we are a part of. We don't like that. That goes directly against all of our pictures of how intelligent we are and how conscious we are and how we have one permanent eye and all that other stuff and how we can do and how we have will and all those things, all those basically illusions about ourselves. But we don't know that they're illusions about ourselves, which makes us unconscious and mechanical. And then there's the upper group called conscious humanity. Now, those above us can help us, but we must first reach the portal. If we don't reach the portal, we can't get help. You've got to get to that spot in order to get the kind of help you need to get through there. So that is what this work is about. It's about getting from unconscious mechanical humanity to conscious humanity and all of the things that keep us from getting there. And there are a lot of things that keep us from getting there. And those things, those blocks, those obstacles must be eliminated. To eliminate them, there's a certain order that we have to follow to get rid of them. It's like a rubric's cube. There's a certain pattern. And if you don't follow that pattern, you're not going to get through the obstacles. You pull one obstacle out of the way and three obstacles fall down in its place. So you don't want that to happen. You want to have the key so that you can pull out the right obstacle at the right time. Remove that and pull out the next obstacle. It's kind of like a house of cards. Pull out the wrong card, the whole house collapses. That's not what we want to happen. As Esotericism teaches, there are certain steps necessary to reach this portal. The worm is a formidable adversary because it's invisible to us. So not only is it huge and powerful, overwhelming, and has powers that you can't even imagine, but it's also invisible to us. We can't see it. So you're fighting something you can't see. Mechanical humanity is based in the instinctive, moving, and sex centers. Number one man's center of gravity is mostly the moving center. You have number one man, though. Think about that. Morris Nichols says, Consider how many people in this world are occupied only in moving matter from one place to another. Now think about this. What does your job entail, Pat? I pick up kids and I take them to school. So you move matter from one place to another. How about you, uh, Rex? What's your job entail? You're moving bees or moving honey. Okay, so you're moving bees, you're moving honey, so you're moving matter. What does your job entail? I move kids. You move kids from one place to another. And you? You're a homemaker, so you move... 
You move matter all day long. You move food from the grocery store to the refrigerator, from the refrigerator to the cupboard to the cooktop, from the cooktop to the plate, from the plate to the table. Then what do they do? They all sit down and they move matter from the plate to their mouths. What do you do? I move matter from Home Depot to a job site and then from the job site to the donut. Right. Exactly. And you? Same thing. I move paint. You move paint. That's right. You put paint on a palette and then you move it around on a board or on a plate or on something. So when you think about it, what people do is they move matter. Here we are. Let's take football players. They move a ball from here to there. Let's take soccer players. They move a ball from here to there. Let's take golf. They move a ball from here to there. Can you think of anything that they're not moving matter? The fact is, is that Nickel is right. Consider how many people in this world are occupied only in moving matter from one place to another. What about truck drivers? Of course, everybody who's in the construction business is a truck driver. The majority of people that we know on this planet, matter movers. Number two man, emotional center. Properly developed is artistic creation. So he moves ideas, basically. And he doesn't just move them. He's not moving one idea from here to there. He's also doing something with the ideas, creating something with the ideas, like three-headed worms or the seesaw or this hourglass, taking the ideas and creating a picture or an image or painting a picture with them and trying to make it more real, more visible, trying to get you to see something that you would not ordinarily see. What is an artist doing in the world, really? An artist takes something, he takes nature, for example, and then he renders an impression of nature that you don't normally have. And he puts that in a frame and you look at it, and the idea is that you will have some kind of an epiphany. A real artist, I'm not talking about painters who do it for money. I'm talking about an artist, someone who actually is trying to convey something from another place to this place. So in a sense, he's moving matter, but it's a much finer matter. It's a matter of ideas, impressions, emotions. But it's the same thing, isn't it? Moving from one place to another. If number two man, the emotional center, is undeveloped, what it's like is swinging between liking and disliking. So you can see that an artist like, let's say, Vincent van Gogh, he created things like Starry Night, that painting. You look at that painting and it's like, whoa, what was he on? Well, we know now that what he was on was the lead and the chemicals in the paint that he was using because he used to suck on the paintbrush. He used to put the paintbrush in his mouth. And so they found out later that he had all kinds of poisonings from the paint that he was using and putting in his mouth. And that's what made him have a lot of these hallucinations and go a little wonky on things. But he did swing from what he liked to what he didn't like. So the undeveloped part of him would swing, the emotional part would swing from what he liked to what he didn't like. The more developed part of him could move these incredible ideas in paint and just wow people with it. So it's like that. Now number three man meets life through intellectual theory. This is a pretty safe way to meet life. I call it the ivory tower way. It's like professors in universities who have tenure. They just show up, they give their lecture, they do their thing, and they go away. They don't really have to do much of anything anymore because they're in this intellectual ivory tower that no one can really reach, or only other people in the intellectual ivory tower can reach, which means people who agree with them. A man number three will hold that reason and logic should govern life. Do you ever think that reason and logic should govern life? Yeah, that's the intellectual part of you. Now, all of these three, man numbers one, two, and three, are all one-sided. Number four, man, balanced man, the portal to higher development, to transformation from lower to higher, can use all of these centers as they're designed to be used at the appropriate time. 
I'll give you some examples of this, simple examples of this, that when I give them to you, you'll smile and you go, oh yeah, I know that one. And you will too, because these are examples from my own life. And I'll start off with one of my personal favorites, cleaning toilets. Now, cleaning toilets involves the moving center. You've got to get in there and clean the toilet. Now, today, you notice that people don't really use their hands to clean toilets. Now, we have all of these gadgets and things to keep our hands out of the toilets because people realized that man was not using his moving center to clean toilets. What was he using? Well, he was using his emotional center. Ew! I'm not sticking my hand in there. That's disgusting. But as Jess's grandmother used to say, hands are washable. But we have forgotten that. You see, Jess's grandmother is long gone. And now there's nobody to tell us that. We are getting dumber. We are falling lower because we no longer appreciate the experience of the elderly in this country. Now everything is about the young. Everything is targeted to the young. Who are all the commercials on TV for? They're for the young or the old. Really, nobody in between, or not many people in between. Because the young have this huge source of disposable income. Billions of dollars. Because the older people are too stupid to realize that they're destroying the younger people with it. That's why. But I won't go into that because, well, you know, I really don't like to upset people. I just do it kind of because it's there to be done. I mean, it's not me doing it. It just happens to be the truth. Now, some people don't like the truth. They're not easily supported. So they're not being supportable. And that's understandable. It's very difficult to be supportable. If one uses the emotional center, it's going to sound like this. Why do I have to clean the toilet? This is disgusting. I hate cleaning toilets. I'm not sticking my hand in there. Sound familiar? I knew a girl and she cleaned houses. She loved her work. When I say she loved her work, I mean she loved her work. She was passionate about it. When she cleaned the house, it was clean. And you know what she liked best? And this is where I learned this. She liked cleaning toilets. She said, because people don't clean toilets. And so when you clean a toilet, you get a toilet really clean. She said, it looks really clean. She said, it makes a difference. People will stop and go, wow, what happened to that? She would actually get a pumice stone and get in the toilet and just <laughs> clean with that. And I watched her one day and she was just like on fire with this. And I got it. I caught it. It just inflamed me. And I thought, well, this is really cool. So I thought, you know, I like cleaning toilets. It's a moving center thing, but my emotional center is also involved in it, but it's involved in it in a different way. It's like cutting grass. I knew a guy who had a PhD in anthropology in Cincinnati. He was very well-educated and very intelligent. He said, you know, all I really want to do is have a riding lawnmower with an umbrella on it and a beer. And he said, and I just want to mow lawns. He said, the great thing about mowing a lawn is you always know where you've been and you always know where you're going. Now, that was what his PhD in anthropology revealed to him. And what I had to say is, I didn't have to go through all of that to get it. I heard what he said and I realized, oh my God, this is the truth. We're lost in life. We don't know where we are. And what we want is something that will take us from here to there and show us where we've been and where we're going. This is the job that you have to do. This is how it's done. You know where you've been because it's cut. Or it's like painting a wall. You know where you've been. You know where you're going. It's a very satisfying thing if you can employ the moving center. If you employ the emotional or the intellectual center to do a job that they are not prepared to do, that they're not for. That's not what they're for. You're going to have problems. Does that seem right to you? Can you see that? So let's 
Look at it another way. Balanced man uses the moving center to do it. He sees what needs to be cleaned, and he cleans it. He looks at the toilet, and he says, this toilet needs to be cleaned. Well, what needs to be cleaned? Well, all this needs to be cleaned, and I need to take a pumice stone and get this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this. And then he does it. When he's finished, he washes up, he meditates, he has a conversation about the work, or he goes and fixes dinner, or whatever he does. Or he may employ the moving and emotional center properly by feeling his nothingness and serving. So not only does he get the toilet clean, but he also practices karma yoga. And he also does it as a service. To whom? To whomever. Because it's there to be done, and he does it because it's there to be done for no reason, for no merit for himself. He doesn't say to anybody, look, I cleaned the toilet. He just does it. The average janitor will be too tired to develop their other centers and will be thinking of the floors to be waxed or the urinals to be cleaned or this or that that has to be done. Or we're out of this and we have to order more of these and we have to get this and all of these other things. Or that guy didn't clock in in time and I've got to take care of this or I've got to take care of that. He's going to be in the moving center, but by the time he's done, he's too tired to write a play. He's too tired to paint a painting. He's too tired to go practice on the piano. This is what the average person is like in the moving center. Billions of dollars worldwide are squandered in the workplace because mechanical man can't develop the other centers and does a poor job using the wrong center. What do people do at work today? A guy who worked for the county, an acquaintance who worked for the county, he lost his job because he had his work computer, which was a laptop, and he was getting personal emails on it of a personal nature. And one of the things they do in the big companies today is they block porn sites. Why? Well, because so many of their employees spend so much time, instead of working, surfing the net on porn sites, or chatting on this site, or doing that on Facebook, or doing this over here, or writing their blog instead of working. You have any idea what it costs companies for people to be doing that instead of working, not only the millions of dollars that they're paying that person to do, that the person is stealing, basically, because that's theft. When you are doing something at work that you're not being paid to do, you are stealing from your employer. Now, if you're being supportable, you're going to look at that and go, okay, time for me to stop. But if you're not, you're going to justify it. Well, they don't pay me enough anyway. Well, everybody else does it. You're going to have all this justifying going on. That is not being supportable. That's being an idiot. He calls people idiots. No, I'm not calling people idiots. I'm saying that that kind of behavior is idiotic for someone who wishes to develop. That's all I'm saying. And you would say it too if you could see it. But some people will take it personally because they take everything personally because they're subjective, not objective. You cannot develop subjectively. You must develop objectively. And in order to develop objectively, you must separate from yourself so that you can see yourself objectively, not subjectively. Huge task. Good luck with that. Now, the work holds that your undeveloped centers must be made to grow before you can approach the portal called man number four. It teaches us to approach a situation with the right center. What that means is, if you must clean the kitchen, use the moving center. Instead, we say, why can't he wash a cup after he uses it? Why doesn't she put it back where she got it? Why is it that she has to use three cups instead of washing one cup and using that cup again? Why is it that she has to stack them all here? Why is it that he puts these things in a draining rack and then he doesn't dry them and he doesn't put them away? Now there's no room in the draining rack. And what do you end up doing? You end up breaking dishes. You end up breaking cups. You end up with problems. This leads to bad internal states. And that's where the problems come from. You think broken cups and plates and things like that come from a good internal state? I promise you there are no accidents. 
Oh, I, I just dropped it. Yeah, right. It's just like you burned yourself. Well, I, I burned myself accidentally. Yes, you burned yourself accidentally. No one burns themselves on purpose. But your internal state of anger, burning yourself up with anger, is what causes you to burn yourself. No, how do you know that? You can't say that. I just did say that. Wrap your mind around it or don't. I'm not here to explain it to you. It's up to you to grow your understanding to the point where you can see the truth of it. If you're not willing to see the truth of it, fine. Then you're not willing to develop. That's not my problem. Bad internal states lead to cups getting broken, negative words get spoken, and this phrase is chanted. Why do I always have to be the one to do it? Why should I? How many times have you said, why do I always have to be the one to apologize? Why am I always the one to yield? Why do I always have to be the one to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong? Why doesn't he ever do it? Why doesn't she ever do it? Sound familiar? Now, let me give you a way to deal with that. Of course, you could take it and feed it right to your meritorious self, which of course means you'll just do all the wrong things. And I probably shouldn't even tell you, but you know, that's your problem. It's not my problem. I'm not going to hold back the truth because you misuse it. Top consciousness is the consciousness that yields. Lower consciousness can never yield, ever. Small being can never yield. It takes large being, big being to yield. The bigger the being, the more you can forgive, the more you can yield, the more you can admit that you don't know everything, that you could be wrong. Personality, wrongly formed, which of course is false personality, is wrongly formed by mechanical associations. And let me tell you, it is a horrible thing once you see it for yourself. And once you see that you are in its grip, it is a horrible, horrible thing. It is something really terrible. When I say the house is on fire, what I mean is the house is on fire, you're being strangled and chained to the basement so that you can't get out. And you're being strangled so that you don't know if you're going to suffocate before the fire gets to you, or you'll just be unconscious when the fire gets to you, or you'll be just unable to move when the fire gets to you. It's a horrible thing to be in the grip of a wrongly formed personality that's wrongly formed by mechanical associations. When it has you in its grip, life is misery, pure misery, because you're being worked by outside life, and you're able to do nothing from yourself. You don't even know what yourself is, so you can't do anything from yourself, because yourself is a mystery to you. Yourself, your feeling of I, has entered into this thing, this false personality that's been formed by mechanical associations in life, and it is running you. It is driving you. Only when you can see what your job is and do it yourself, not pretending to be something else, can you see the path to the portal, balanced man. Only then. You'll not see it before then. What does that mean? Doing your job, that's what it means. What is your job? Well, I'm an electrician. Well, I'm a beekeeper. Well, no, no, that's not your job. Your job is your purpose, your meaning, why you are here. It's not those other things. Those other things are the job of the false personality. They're the job of the personality, actually, not the false personality. And the personality, if you cleanse the personality and put it in order, it can do those jobs brilliantly. The false personality screws everything up. But the personality, cleansed of false personality, cleansed of those mechanical associations, has a brilliant purpose, and it can do that job. It can go to work and do those things brilliantly. The whole world would start to fall into place and work properly if people could cleanse themselves of the false personality. That's not going to happen, but theoretically, from the intellectual center, theoretically, that's how it would be. And we can say that reason and logic should govern life, but it doesn't. And it's not going to anytime soon. Not on this planet. Not under 48 orders of law. Doing your job by complaining reveals small being. You're not doing it from yourself by willing it because you see the necessity of it. I had an epiphany last night. I was watching House, and I thought, why is it people like House are heroes on TV? But you find them in the real world, and we hate them. 
We want to kill them. We absolutely hate them. So when people say, oh, you remind me of House, if they admire House, that's not such a bad thing. <laughs> but if they don't, that's not a good thing. Oh, you remind me of House. Well, okay. You know, I can see some similarities. We both have brown hair. He has blue eyes. I have brown eyes. We're both slim frame. You know, he's younger than I am. But I can see some similarities, facial similarities and things. I can also see that I have a tendency to say things abruptly and people often find them, ah, uh, difficult difficult to deal with because they're socially not well lubricated with the oil of manners and all of the things like that. You know what I mean? We have certain ways that we want to say things to people. There are certain things we don't want to say to people. House has a job to do. He does his job. It's like, look, you want to live or do you want to die? If you want to live, this is diagnosis. I gave you a diagnosis. If you can't handle it, maybe you shouldn't be a doctor. I thought, well, you know, he, he knows his job. And now they have all the psychological stuff. Well, it's the pain and all, everything that he's in all the time that makes him this way. Maybe, but that doesn't have anything to do with anything. The man sees the necessity of his job and he does it. He does what's set before him. This is what we mean by doing your job and not complaining. Doing your job and not complaining means you see the necessity of it and you do it no matter what because you're going to do it anyway. And what happens is what happens. And if people like it, that's nice. And if they don't like it, so what? That's the bottom line. That was my epiphany. My epiphany was, look, you've been given this job to do. Are you going to do it? Some of you have known me for 25 years. Some of you know me for nearly 30 years. You know the answer to that. There's no question in your mind. I am going to do my job. The only thing that's going to stop me from doing my job is death. That's it. That's the only thing that will stop me. And you know that. And that's probably why you're here. You can count on it. Of all the things in life that you can't count on, this is one of the things you can count on. I'm going to do my job whether you like it or not. And when you don't like it, you still like the idea that, you know, he's going to do his job whether I like it or not. And though I may not like it, I take comfort in that. Is that true? Can you see how much being it takes to see the necessity of something that you can't see is necessary? I can't see the necessity of this. I can't see why this is necessary. Why should I do this? There are so many other people who have so much more to offer than I have. So much more intelligent. They had the right teachers. They're well connected. They have big groups. They have lots of money. They have all the things. And not only that, but they're good people. I'm not even a good person. I'm a flawed, imperfect human being. I'm struggling to balance, to enter the portal, to be balanced man. You have all these other people who are so much better equipped to do this. Why me? Why do I have to do this? I do not see the necessity of this. Yet it's still my job. I've still been given this to do. How did I get into doing these podcasts? Not only that, I'm adding two more. I'm adding two more podcasts. That's four a week that I'll be doing. you have any idea how much time and energy that takes? It takes a tremendous amount of time and energy. Regardless of the circumstances, you have to do what you have to do. What do you have to do? What is before you to do? That's all. How do I know what I have to do today? It's Sunday. This is what I do on Sunday. How do I know what I have to do Thursday? It's Thursday. I write the notes for the Sunday's talk on Thursday. How do I know what I have to do on Saturday? It's Saturday. At 8 o'clock or thereabouts, people start showing up at my house, and at 8.30 we meditate until 9.30, 9.35, 9.40. After that, I prepare to do a class, and that class runs for about an hour. And Then after that, then I have whatever it is I have to do. Sunday, same thing. Wednesday, same thing. Tuesday, same thing. Monday, same thing. I know what is there to be done because that's what I have to do that day. It's very simple. Live lightly with few duties. I have very few duties. These are the duties. These are the things that I have to do. So, regardless of the circumstances, you have to do what you have to do. You must do what you have to do. So, what is before you? In Spanish, they say tener que. 
means you must do this. You have to do this. You have to breathe. You have to eat. You have to drink fluids. You have to do these things if you want to live. And even if you don't want to live, you're still going to breathe. If you hold your breath until you pass out, you'll start breathing because your instinctive center will take over and you'll start breathing. You remember that with Joshua. He used to hold his breath when he was a baby. And you said, fine, hold your breath till you turn blue and pass out. We're not playing this game anymore. And the game was over. As soon as he realized, oh, that's, that's not going to work anymore, the game was over. And he was a little baby. Well, how could he know that? <laughs> how could you not? That was always my question. How could you not? People got the idea, oh, he knows stuff. Yeah, I know stuff. I know how we work. And I know that we buy that little bodies mean little being. And that's wrong. That is so wrong. There can be a big being in a little body. Remember, they're born awake, and we put them to sleep. So that's a mistake to think that. Now, how do you do your job? Do it with will. And when you do it with will, you do it with excellence. How many times have I told you, if you're going to do something, do the best you can possibly do. I don't care what it is. Do it well. You perfect yourself by perfecting how you do what you have to do in life. That's how you develop. That's how you perfect yourself. That's how you put your centers in order. That's how you get this working properly. Morris Nichols said, Willing what happens will begin to develop your other functions. Will what you have to do in daily life. Life is a balancing act, which requires extra effort. When we were in Ireland, one of the things that I have people do is exercise, physical exercise. I bring with me a set of perfect push-ups, and I have everybody do a full set of perfect push-ups every other day. One of the girls, the only girl who did it, uh, of the two women who were there, only one would do it. Only one would play, the other one didn't want to play at all. But only one would play. Only one was there to actually work, while the other one was there for a vacation. So the one that was there to work actually did the push-ups. Well, it was funny because she had no upper body strength, so she couldn't get in the push-up position with her toes down. She had to do it from her knees. And even on her knees, she could not do the very basic. And so she actually had to have help. Someone would actually have to help lift her up. And she would do a certain amount, and she couldn't do anymore. And you could see her left side would falter, her right side was stronger, her right side would be coming up, and her left side wouldn't. It was just comical, but the fact is that she tried. She pushed. She pushed it to the limit until someone else helped her to finish it. If you're faced with a situation requiring the use of a center you don't use, try to use it. It will develop eventually. What I have to say is that after a few days of that, she was able to do it. She had gained the upper body strength to be able to do it. Now, I'm not saying she could move a mountain or push a car anywhere, but what I'm saying is that she was able to complete without help what she started, and she couldn't complete without help in the beginning. She developed. This is the same way. It's just like that. If you keep on using these things, try to use these things, you will develop. If you worked out with Patty, you know that Patty just goes so far. She doesn't put the extra effort in. She does just what's necessary. So she doesn't really get anything out of it. You used to work out with weights. You know the guys like that. The guys who didn't put forth the extra effort. They never got any injuries, but they never really developed what they could develop. So you've got to take a risk. You've got to be willing to push, but you've got to be willing to do it in a balanced way. You know, the guys who pushed too hard and got too many injuries, then they couldn't work anymore. And then there were other guys who pushed just hard enough and didn't get a lot of injuries. They just pushed to the place where they knew if they pushed any harder, they'd be injured. They were balanced, and it worked well for them, and they developed. Each type must develop the two other types to move towards the portal, the balanced man. So what that means is if you're man number one, then you need to develop man number two, 
And then you need to develop man number three, which will be the most difficult for you. If you're man number two, you need to develop man number one and man number three. If you're number three man, you need to develop man number one, man number two. Go through all the types and you will see what you have to do. So whatever you are, you've got to work in those other two areas, those other two centers, as it were. Each type's got to develop the other centers. This is our balancing act. This is our work. You light up an instant.